Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's good to be here, Dan. Great, Chris. Well, well thanks for coming on. Um, let's dive right in. We'll talk a little bit about jobs this week. Um, initial jobs claims, they moved higher. They bumped up 31,000, up to 742,000. And we saw continuing claims, they fell uh, 429,000. Uh, and so, you know, these, these numbers are, are very similar to what we've seen in, in prior weeks. Um, the improvements, continuing claims, it, those are offset by the increases in pandemic unemployment assistance, the continuing claims. So, um, you know, for me, it, look, it, this, this appears that the improvement in the jobs outlook is, is starting to slow down. Uh, so the question here is, you know, is, is the market being complacent and ignoring this potential issue? Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it complacent. Uh, not yet. The way we should think about it is there's a heavy focus on the weekly claims data because it's a frequent statistics we get, um, and the market loves to anchor on numbers. But we got to remember that, that jobs are a lagging indicator, and in fact, they're almost the most lagging of indicators. Um, and so the, the slowing we're seeing now um, is probably reflective of really the volatility we started to see back in September. Um, and at the same time, the strength we saw in equity markets, you know, three, four months ago preceded the rapid increase and in improvement we saw in job gains and, and the fall off in continuing claims. Um, that being said, there, there's no question that the market's going to quickly turn their attention back to a softening jobs outlook if, in fact, the current surge in COVID cases doesn't peak soon or there gets to be a concern that the, the recent positive vaccine data that we had, uh, it'll be longer before we get it into the general population. Uh, so I wouldn't say they're complacent yet. Uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. It is troubling that the bulk of the improvement continues to be people rolling off state benefits onto federal benefits. Uh, but I think the market will start selling off well before we see this data deteriorate. And speaking about data, um, we've, we've actually now seen two really positive weeks of, of vaccine data, and the news cycle has accelerated the rotation from what we've seen from the, the leadership, the prior leadership, large cap growth, and we've seen this swing over into small caps, and we've seen it into cyclicals. Um, and if I'm just looking at you know some indices here, the Russell 2000 value that's that's jumped. It's up about twenty thousand. Excuse me, that's up about twenty percent uh, quarter to date. Uh, we've seen areas like regional banks, they're up 33% or so. Um, so, you know, as you're, as you're looking at these moves and they're drastic and they're sharp and they've all happened really quickly, do you think this, this rotation can continue? Uh, and at what point do you think that the good news has been priced into the market? Yeah, you know, this is pretty typical on, on the recovery phase that, you know, you get your initial rally, uh, you, you have your momentum and your leadership, and, and money starts chasing that. Then as the recovery broadens out and you've kind of exhausted the, the buying energy into that leadership, other areas begin to outperform and you see a rotation as they're selling uh, their prior winners or what they own to then rotate into these other areas. And in a, in a lot of ways, uh, it does mean we've priced in a large part of the recovery. In other words, you know, we, you know, the S&P and, and, the, and the NASDAQ have gone on to positive returns for the year. 
the Russell 2000 value is nearly flat on a year-to-date basis. Um, and then the regional banks, they're still down 10 12%. So they could close the gap. But this is what I would call the performance chasing element, where people that were too pessimistic start buying these cyclical areas. People that were overweight are now starting to underperform. They start to panic a bit and buy in. And it also creates a lot of forced short covering. And we've seen strong outperformance by short covering. And at the same time, we've seen strong outperformance by the smallest companies. So even the smallest companies within the small cap index, which is just investors rotating into a passive strategy and, and covering up some of that factor underweight. Um, for it to continue, I do think we need to see stimulus. You know, we kind of had our, our three criteria in order for a fourth quarter rally and, and for that to be sustained into uh, the, the next year. We needed a vaccine. We've gotten two. We'll probably get another one. Uh, we needed a clean election, and clean election meaning we have results. We can litigate them. We can get through. Uh, I think we're squarely on that path. But we also did need stimulus, and, and that's what's missing in this. Uh, and I can't stress it enough that you know the vaccines are not going to get out fast enough so that politically we can reopen the economies uh, and get the full recovery. So we're going to need checks out the door, and we're going to need a fairly sizable stimulus to maintain spending levels. And it may, in fact, be that Congress is the one that's being too complacent, and it may take a large market sell-off and correction to spur Congress into action. So um, the the rally and the rotations normal. Uh, that's just closing valuation gaps. I don't think we're setting the stage yet for brand new leadership. We just had some overbought conditions and large cap growth, a broadening of the recovery, and then investors kind of rebalancing their factor exposures. But we'll need additional stimulus for this to continue. Right. And it's interesting you described it as, you know, we've closed the valuation gap. Uh, we look at these three things, you know, that it was certainly promising news with the vaccine. Um, so far, you know, there hasn't been any, uh, well, well, the, you know, depending on what side you're looking at on the election, they're, they're so far what we've seen is, is we're moving and progressing through. Um, but you're right, you know, we'd like to see the stimulus. And I, I think this leads, leads into my next question here and, and talking and focusing on next year. And, you know, we're recording this, um, you know, the week before Thanksgiving and, and year end is right around the corner and the equity market performance. Would, would indicate that this, this recovery will continue into 2021. Uh, and, you know, as we look at some valuation measures, whether it's the, you know, the Case-Shiller PE, and that's sitting at 33 times. Um, if you want to look at something like uh, in the Buffett indicator, right, the market cap to GDP, that's also nearing all-time highs. Uh, you know, so, you know, would you mind, would you put into perspective the valuation setup? Um, and then maybe more importantly, what, you know, what's the upside-downside risk uh, in the S&P 500, you know, from here and then into early 2021. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's easy for investors to anchor on a Case-Shiller PE or a Buffett indicator and, and just declare that, you know, stocks are, are wildly overvalued and there's no more upside and it's a bubble. And it, it's a little more nuanced than that. I think valuations indicate what your expected return should be over the subsequent decade should you remain in a fairly normal environment based on history. Um, and so we can look at 
a PE or K Schiller PE or a Buffett indicator, and it's, it's pretty clear what that means. If we're going to have a normalized 2% inflation world and and higher short-term interest rates back to you know one to three percent, and you know we know we're faced with challenging demographics, so a little bit lower GDP growth and lower productivity growth, then you're going to see valuations compress over the next decade. And your actual rate of return is going to be fairly low. You know, call it a, a, a two to three percent real. Um, and on zero inflation, that means you get a two to three percent return. At the same time, you know, it's pretty clear what moves markets on a shorter term basis is the equity risk premium. And that's heavily influenced by where sovereign interest rates are and where inflation is. Um, and right now, you know, the equity risk premium is around 4% or so. Um, and that would indicate, you know, your S&P would be fairly valued at, at 3,800, given where current uh, real yields are. And, you know, that's about a 7% appreciation. Uh, we're entering a seasonally strong period. So this period from now through the spring is typically a fairly good period for the market. If we do get the stimulus and we get some GDP traction so that we can you know, have confidence that the earnings improvement will continue and that the job improvement will continue, uh, there's no doubt that S&P earnings for 2021 may be a little high. You know, current estimates are for about $167 a share that compares to 137 estimates for 2020 and then 163 in 2019. Uh, but given the, the low rates and the low equity risk premium, even if we have to bring down 2021 estimates, let's say 10% to closer to 150, um, you know, if you lower the risk premium from 4% to 3.8, that'll fully offset that. Uh, if we don't have to bring down those estimates, and it would be very consistent to see uh, junk uh, spreads compress further on further improvement in GDP, that will serve to bring down the equity risk premium. You know, you just bring it down another 20 basis points, and you have about 14% upside. So it's easy to see where more stimulus, no inflation pressures, we could get up close to that 4,000 range. Now, we got to keep in mind, though, that, that once we do that, you're entering extremely stretched uh, valuation measures. And if we're relying on fiscal policy in order to drive that GDP expansion, should we get an increase in real rates, we're very vulnerable. I mean, that's just the problem with low rates. You have wild swings in fair value. So right now, you know, real rates are about negative 0.7. Um, if they just increase to like a positive 0.3 or 0.4 in that scenario, that would indicate about a 25% decline in the S&P. Um, and so I really think that investors need to pay attention to the fact that with fiscal policy taking a lead in driving the economy, supported by what I think will be rapid uh, monetary and money supply expansion, 
if we enter a period where inflation can take hold, not just from the stimulus activities, but also from the bottoming in some of these more capital-intensive industries like energy and industrial metals and others, if real rates begin to move higher, there's very real downside for equity markets. Conversely, if inflation takes hold and real rates move lower, you'll still see multiple compression within the equity markets, but you'll also see a shift in leadership. So I think either way you think about it, the, the easy money's been made. Doesn't mean we're about to peak. There could easily be another 10 or 15% in front of us if we get policy right over the next few quarters. Then at that point, it gets difficult. At that point is when you'll really start to see uh, volatility across sectors and, and, you know, potentially a material shift in leadership that usually comes with a lot of downside volatility in the market as it's underway. Uh, so, so let me just try to unpack that. Um, so, you know, if we're, if we're running through some, you know, some t- potential scenarios, you know, one of which is, you know, we rely on fiscal policy. We run up the S&P up to the 4,000 range. Um, you know, that's somewhat implying, you know, still, you know, a, a real rate of return or inflation at, at zero. Um, and in the event that we start seeing that tick up, I mean, that could be, um, you know, a potential area of, of high volatility um, reduction in, in what we've seen in, in compression of, uh, of PE ratios. Is that, does that sound fair to, to what you just described? Yeah, yes. And, and we're, we have our real rates right now are negative. And mm-hmm. so they'll need to stay negative for us to hit that kind of 4,000 level in the S&P. And, and, you know, for people that want to kind of pay attention to what's going on, watch tips. Um, as, as tips moves higher, uh, then, you know, that, that has an impact by definition. It's, it's telling you what's going on with the real yield. Um, and it will be inversely correlated to the S&P 500. Well, that's good. That's, and I always like when you, when you give us a, you know, a, a line to watch or a market to watch and, and keep an eye out on. So we'll keep an eye out on the tips. Um, we'll see if we can get some fiscal, fiscal stimulus. Hopefully um, these vaccines get out distributed. The election comes through and, and it works out for everybody. And um, we'll be off and running here heading into 2021. So uh, thank you very much, Chris. I don't know if we'll, We'll have you next week for Thanksgiving, but we certainly have you back again shortly after that, and we'll catch up soon uh, right into your end. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.